Carol, what color am I wearing? Green! And just not any green, spring green, as the Crayola crayons would label it. You want to know why? Because in spite of the weather, you are done with winter colors. I am done. You know me so well. Let's get started on this week's episode. Spring is coming. So they say. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on an acre and a half out of seven and a half acres in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Okay, I had to cough because all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. You can see Bill in the background walking very I see quietly him. through the kitchen. He's waving. Yeah. You know why? Why? Those stupid Jup- Juniperus virginiana, otherwise known as Eastern Red Cedars, are yellow with pollen. And it blew crazy yesterday here because that front that brought you snow. Yeah. It brought us Eastern red cedar pollen and a bunch of cold weather. So we're all dying in Oklahoma right now. How are you guys? We're good. And you did mention snow. We got, and I don't know, I completely missed the forecast. I wasn't paying attention. Went out to lunch with some friends yesterday, came out and they're like, oh, it's snowing. And then I think we got four or five inches, enough that they plowed the street. And I'm like, oh, I was going to go out this morning and shovel the driveway. And I thought, you know what? South facing driveway, you know, it's not above freezing. But if the sun comes out like it's out now, that's less I have to shovel. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to wait until later this afternoon. And then if it needs to be shoveled, because it's surely going to melt by Wednesday, it's 61. Anyway. So it's going to get super cold. I mean, it is super cold today. It's 25 degrees here right now. This, And we're recording this on a Saturday. How cold is it there? Well, I just looked on my watch, which sometimes isn't up to date. And I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> it says it's 16 out there. It, it's about I think, six. I didn't even. I'm, I, uh, I bet it is. But next week, you're going to be in the 60s. I'm going to be in the 70s. So what did you do in your garden before this all started? So I did cut back the rest of my epimediums in the back. And I went up to the front entrance where I had left moms all winter long. And I knew that bugs some residents. Like, when's she going to get out of those out of there? It's like, oh, this is volunteer work whenever I want. Yes. I took him out on Monday because we had an HOE meeting on HOA meeting on Tuesday. Nobody complained. And you know, I can I complain for a minute? Yeah, you go right ahead. So I'm the secretary of the garden club. So I'd take minutes on Monday for garden club, got those out the door Tuesday morning, and then went to the HOA meeting. And I'm just a member at large. They keep me on the board because I know stuff about trees and shrubs and flowers. But the secretary wasn't there. And so I took minutes again, had oh, those no. out the door. Anyway, I'm not I complaining. Minutes. I, I took was minutes. the secretary. Anyway, I also ate a bunch of microgreens, did a little bloom, uh, inventory of what was blooming for Garden Bloggers Bloom Day. All that is now covered by snow. People can look at my post. We just I got a name. D. 
Anyway, people can look at my post to see what was blooming before it got snow dumped on it. And yes, everything is going to be fine. We got an mm-hmm. email from a listener, Poppy, who wants some basic information about microgreens. I will include some information in the newsletter, some links to, I'm, I'm sure I can link to the Family Handyman article I wrote, and probably I could link to something on my blog. And then I went to the Rural King, got some Scarlet Runner beans, bought two packs so I could give one away in May when I talk about lost ladies at the local Master Gardeners. And, you know, went to another garden center, got some carrot seeds, went to Tractor Supply. They didn't have their seeds out, really. The guy says, we're going to get them out on Friday. I'm like, okay. And then in the front, they've got the bare root roses and fruit trees. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's kind of early for those. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I digress on that. I've got my Scarlet Runner bean seeds. Yay. Good job. Good job. How about you? I chopped all of my smoke trees back in half that run along that wall, the retaining wall on the east side of my house, down by the bedrooms. And I want them to be bushier and less smoke. So I chopped them way back. I also chopped back all of my roses of Sharon, which used to be Althea's, but now they are hibiscus, according to, you know, the powers that be. And they had gotten really tall because I have both purple pillar and sugar tip which are proven winners plants that were sent to me years ago. I still love sugar tip. I like purple pillar just fine, but it grows really tall. And so they were so tall, I couldn't see the flowers last year. And I sowed a bunch of seeds for flowers in my greenhouse. I got all of my cherry tomato seeds to do all my sweet cherry tomatoes. Lovely. I don't know if I've talked about that on here, but I did write a blog post about it. And let's see the flowers. Okay. So people are going to go, Dee's already sowing flowers. Well, there's certain ones that take forever, like Lysianthus. And I mean, it takes forever. Like I should have sowed it back in December, but I didn't. But Jennifer from Ladybug brought me some that are already up, but I just wanted to see if I could grow up from seed because I've never done it. I also sowed some nasturtiums, two kinds and hollyhocks. And I did a real on Instagram about seed sowing, including those trays that I love so much. So I wrote a couple of blog posts and I did all kinds of stuff this week. I was busy. Cool. I was going to say my winter sown gallon containers out there are completely covered with snow, which is fine. Yeah, I looked in them, I I think Thursday and one of the alyssums had started to germinate. So, Which we're going to talk about alyssum in a minute. Yes, we are. What's your favorite this week? My favorite is going, I'm going to go with, when I was out looking for blooms, I remembered that the little Iris histro, histro, histriodes, that's a hard one to say, Lady Beatrix Stanley is always the very first one to bloom. I know exactly where it is out in the garden. And so I went out there and there was one bud and I compared it to last year. Last year where there were several blooming, this year there was just one bud and that bud is, of course, now buried in snow, but that, that was my favorite before the snow fell. So none of my iris, my little iris reticulatas or my histrioides, which they look very similar, are blooming, but their their cute little spiky leaves are up. And they're right outside this door where we record in the kitchen so that I can see them. And that's a place where I don't do a lot of work because they're planted so shallowy, shallowly that it's really easy to knock them, you know, knock them out of the area. It is. So I try not to do a lot of 
heavy duty weeding under those. I have sunshine ligustrum there and I pretty much just keep layering a little bit of mulch on top just to keep them alive. You know what I mean? Year to year. I do. So far that's working and I'm I'm giving all these details because a lot of people say they can't grow them here. Well, I think they're just dubbing, rubbing them out because I used to do that too. So you want to hear my little favorite? I do. So as part of a mix last year, and I'll have to go look at the mix in the fall, I planted these orange pansies and they're different. They're different from any orange pansy. And in fact, before, you know, when I was updating my notes this morning, I went looking for them online and I can't find them. They are so cute. They are ruffled and they're a bicolor orange pansy. They do, they're not orange blotch. They don't have a central dark, you know, little center. I have some of those. They're just kind of yellow and orange and they're very ruffled and they're just beautiful. And if I can get a photo, I will try it. Depends on, you know, it's 25, so it may not happen, but they're very brave little flowers. They are. Now, can I back up to your Roses of Sharon? Yes. So you named a couple of varieties that you have. I think it's really mm-hmm. important for people to buy varieties that are mostly sterile, that don't produce viable seed. Otherwise, you will have those everywhere. And I'm thinking about my nephew who bought a house last fall. Mm-hmm. And when I went over there, my sister and I were assessing the yard, and there are Roses of Sharon everywhere. And I'm like, the, he really needs to have all these taken out or he needs to take them out. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. So do buy the newer varieties that are sterile. Don't don't dig up a bunch of seedlings or you'll have a bunch of seedlings to dig up for the rest of your life. Because if you buy the ones that have the very open flowers, they have a long central, I, don't, I can't think of what the word is, but basically bees love them. And they will pollinate the heck out of them. And yes, they can become extremely aggressive and perhaps invasive. Purple pillar is sterile. I'm just sure of it because I've never seen any of them. And it's a newer variety. And then sugar tip is my favorite one. And it has variegated leaves that are green and white, which hence the name sugar tip. Don't try to say that fast three times. And it has double light pink blooms with a burgundy center. Sounds pretty. It is a very, pr- in fact, I can do a picture of it because it's, I've got dozens. Of okay. It. So that's very good advice because, you know, when we were talking about butterfly bushes a couple of weeks ago, same thing. You want new varieties that don't produce seed. Yeah. I'm making a note of all these Pictures you have to send me. Orange pansies. If I have one. I don't know if I'll have uh, one. Roses of Sharon. Yeah, I have both of those. All right. That'll be that'll be good for now. I'll keep making notes. Let's do a quote, talk about our flower topic. In some native languages, the term for plants translate to those who take care of us. And that is from Robin Wall Kimmerer from Braiding Sweetgrass. Plants take care of us. It's an amazing, amazing book. It is. Uh, it's deep. It's very deep. And we heard Robin speak. At least I think you were there with me. Yes, you? that was in Buffalo, New York. She spoke to the garden communicators. Very moving topics. She just was just real, very good speech. I wouldn't call it a speech. I'd just call it a conversation. Yeah, and storytelling. Yes, she's a storyteller. Story Yeah, she's wonderful. All right, flowers. We decided to do fragrant flowers from seed because 
we, I got an email and it was from John Sheeper's Kitchen Garden Seeds, which is the same company that does bulbs, but they do it under John Sheeper's bulbs. So I thought it was a really good article and they've been doing a lot of these that are good. And so there are a lot of different fragrant flowers that you can grow from seed. And I think fragrant flowers add so much to a garden. They help you remember the garden. They sure do in winter, for sure. So what you were going to say, the ones you grow, I was going to say the ones I grow, and I kind of looked at their list too. So on their list, I'm growing sweet alyssum, and normally I buy plants at the garden center at the local greenhouse. And the thing about alyssum is they get so floppy in the flats so fast. Yeah, they do. I decided to start some from seed and those are winter sown right now, but I like to put those along the edges of my vegetable garden beds and they, in my garden at least, they'll make it through the summer heat. In a lot of places, they'll they'll kind of die out in the summer heat and then a brand new flush of growth in the fall. So they're like an all season plant for me. Tiny, tiny seeds. So yeah, they do. They have very tiny seeds. So here in Oklahoma, they, they're really a spring plant. Usually you can't get them to over summer. It just depends on what kind of weather we have. But like last year, we had such a long spring that the alyssum lasted a very long time. And it comes in purple and it comes in white. And I kind of like the white. Do you like the white or the purple? I like both. Uh-huh. And I'm growing both. So your next one was sweet peas. Did you direct sow those or did you winter sow them? Sweet peas. No, I'm going to direct sow those and it is not time to do that. Oh, I already did mine because it is oh, time. Yeah. I forget and sometimes you're a month behind me. I am. And remember I had that old, old sweet pea book. I sent that to Matt Mattis and he he li- he loves it because he grows sweet peas. So people should go follow him on Instagram. He mm-hmm. He's already read the book and put a bunch of information out there. But one of the things that he said, according to that book and more and more people are realizing you do not have to soak the sweet pea seeds before sowing them. You don't have to, but I've noticed they germinate better for me here. I think because my soil can be so dry. That um, could be. It's a different it's a different world here, so I soak them. And yeah. I've had much better success. So the next one you listed was Nicotiana. Well, wait a minute. I want to say one thing about sweet peas. Okay. I want to say one more thing about sweet peas. There is a perennial sweet pea don't, Don't get it. it. It has no scent <laughs> and it'll become a bane of your existence in your garden because that will come up everywhere. Don't ask me how I know. I saw it in somebody's garden last year. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. It is horrible. Okay. So can we move on to Nicotiana? Yeah. We're both growing Nicotiana. Yes, we are. Which one are you growing? Do you know? The one that just self sows itself in my vegetable garden and just comes up in the spring. Gotcha. Okay. It's just the white one. There's several white ones, but okay. You're probably, just yeah. the basic. What do you, you grow in all the fancy ones? I have grown all the fancy ones. Of the fancy ones, I like only the lonely, which is a big white one. It's just a, it's just a cultivated variety of the one you're talking about. It does have really great scent. And let's see, I don't like the Cranberry Isles one at all. It's short and stupid. There's no reason to have a short, stupid one that hasn't, it didn't have any scent in my garden. I really love the lavender cloud mix from Hudson Valley seed. 
It's the only place you can get it. It's wonderful. And it, it stopped people in their tracks the year I grew it. So this year I'm growing only the lonely. So talk about stock. So remember last year I bought, I had never really grown stock and I, you know, just kind of ignored it at the garden center, but I got seeds and my my infamous 11 cent packets had tons of stock seedlings. They did bloom. They have an, they had an okay scent, but they, again, they summered over and produced seed pods. So I collected all that seed and now I've winter sown a bunch of it. And I'll probably, I still have tons of that seed. So I'll probably sow some on a little flat inside just to see what happens, but we'll see. I've sown them inside. I've planted them out in place. I've done lots of different things with stock. I like stock in my vegetable garden. I don't know why. I mean, I think I just like the scent. It's kind of a clove scent to me. Scent is very personal. So sometimes what something smells like to me might not smell like that to someone else, but they're not hard to grow. They like, cool weather. So we lose them about mid, you know, we lose them in the summertime. But see, my theory on that is that just gives you space to plant something else. That's right. Now stock is, it's a good one for the vegetable garden. It is in the cabbage family. Maybe that's why I like it there. That's a good, thank you, Carol. So in my garden for the first time this year, I'm going to grow mignonette, which I think I bought from John Sheeper's kitchen seeds. I don't know why I read on the packet that I'm supposed to sow it directly So I'm going to sow it directly. And then I love heliotrope. I usually start that indoors about now. And it'll go all summer long. And I've grown every type of heliotrope there is. To this year, I'm growing marine. I don't, you know, I don't know why it's dark purple, I guess. I've grown the white one. They all smell good. There's one that's got an almond, really almondy scent. I'm going to grow sweet peas. I'm growing Nicotiana again because I always grow it. Again, only the lonely is one of the most fragrant ones. I also grow four o'clocks, which I have salmon sunset, and I think it's for sale on kitchen garden seeds. It's also on sale at rareseeds.com, Baker Creek. They have it. That's where I first got it. You can save seeds from that four o'clock because it's open pollinated and it'll, you know, you'll just have it forever. I've ne- and mine actually drops seed and I've given seed to people. But here's the thing. Some of mine is reverting back to the pink. And I like Salmon Sunset because it's orange with a pink center. So I've been pulling out the pink ones. Not that they're bad. I just don't. I just want Salmon Sunset. And again, let me say this. If you plant four o'clocks and let the seed drop, you will have four o'clocks forever. forever. And I call them window well flowers. Why? Because when I was a kid, there were two window wells for the basement windows. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, the seed dropped in there and four o'clocks came up and my dad just left them. And so four o'clocks grew in the wintertime in our window wells in the back. Cool. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention about this is that a lot of these plants that I mentioned, they are more fragrant in the evening. And there's that a reason true. for that. They're trying to attract pollinators and primarily moths. And so a lot of them are white and a lot of them are fragrant in the evenings. And if you want to have white line sphinx moths or hummingbird clear wing moths, you can plant these plants. They all like the trumpet shaped flowers. And actually those two moths are active during the day. And they also like flocks of all types, but especially flocks paniculata, but usually that's not grown from seed. I'm not saying you can't, but 
most people just divide it and give it to each other or buy plants. Let, let me say this to wrap up this flower topic. Mm-hmm. A lot of people only buy plants. They don't mess around with seeds. They're missing out on a great opportunity to get a lot of lovely scented plants, annuals mostly, from seed. And like we said, some of these, they'll just keep returning in your garden, which is kind of a nice thing. Oh, and I want to say one more thing too, building upon what you said. If you only buy plants that you buy at wherever, those are highly hybridized plants. And a lot of times they've lost their scent. So that's another reason to grow from seed. Most heirloom varieties are heirlooms, almost all of them, or named plants that are older. So that's something to remember. And, you know, add a rose in there too, but get roses that's that have some scent. Yes. Now do that quote and let's talk about vegetables. The ache for home lives in all of us, the safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. That's Maya Angelou and it's from her book, All God's Children Need Traveling Shoes. I love that title. That is a good title. So our vegetable topic is onions and other alliums. We promised last week we were going to talk about onions and other alliums, and here we are, Dee. Here we are. Here we are. So seeds or sets? Well, I used to be a sets girl, but I'm now convinced that seeds is a better way to grow a lot of onions, especially bunching onions. I had great success with seed grown, and you can get more varieties if you get the seeds versus if you go out and buy sets, you're looking at red, yellow, white. Yes. And sometimes sweet onions here in the South, because now you can get a few, a few varieties of the sweets, but it is, they are not easy. If you want unusual things, you're going to have to grow them from seed. And Matt Mattis is convinced, and he kind of convinced us in his vegetable book that you should grow them from seed. So here's the thing. I have done this two ways. I have actually sown seed directly into my garden. And what I like about that is that I get green onions in the middle of summer. Yep. Which is wonderful because usually your green onions are long done. And then the other thing is you can start some of them indoors and then set them out and you can get onions, really good onions in summer. So you can do it both ways that way. I will I will admit that I did buy not sets, but actually grown onions, little green right. onions. I, I bought some of those from my local, I think it was from TLC Nursery, locally because they had some sweets. And I like sweet onions really much, much, much. So I planted out a bunch of those and they were so cheap. I had so many that I still have some in a bag sitting right next to my desk because I don't really know what to do with them. And I used my new dibber. Uh My friend 3D printed for me and bless her heart. That thing works great. Cool. So what do you think about onions? So the thing I would say about onions is... I used to just plant the sets and then I would pull them early and treat those as green onions. But I much prefer now to grow like Tokyo long white and white Lisbon, which I'm growing as bunching onions. They'll, Uh they won't form bulbs. I think they make a better tasting green onion. So there's that. And then onions aren't the most attractive crop out in the garden. They start to die back and they just kind of in the middle of the summer there, you have all that stuff just dying back, which is fine. 
mm-hmm. and to harvest them, you kind of wait until the tops die back and then you want to carefully lift them out because a bruised onion will rot pretty quick. And so you don't want to have bruising because that'll cause them to rot really quick. And then you want to lay them out to dry and then carefully wash them off, then lay them out to dry so that you can keep them. And they'll keep a long time. And you don't want to let them bloom. They're really bad to bloom here. So when they try to bloom, when they send up that center stalk or try to, I break it and take it off or lay it on its side. Usually I just lay it on its side really early. Because I don't want them to, I don't want them to put all of their production into the seed. They're bad to do that here. So I didn't know that scallions were another name for bunching onions. Yeah, basically it's a green onion. So yeah, it is. We just call them scallions or green onions, but I just didn't think about it. And then shallots. Have you grown shallots? I have. I have not, but I've gotten seeds for cream cream brulee from All America Selections, which is a shallot. And shallots are basically much milder in taste, and they're what's yeah. called a multiplier. So, like garlic, you plant well the garlic you plant cloves, but with shallots you plant one bulb or one seedling, and then it multiplies, and you'll get several bulbs to harvest from yeah, that they, one. They come out as a big kind of a well, almost like a garlic bulb, but yes, yeah. Like they're that. a multiplier, but you don't treat them like garlic when you cook with them. So they're they're good, they're wonderful, and I've grown them several times. They're really good. So you said that leeks. You think that if you grow onions, you can grow leeks. Well, here's the thing. Maybe in your climate, <laughs> in my climate, I tried to grow leeks last year, and I've tried to grow them before. I have never, I have yet to successfully grow leeks. I'm not saying that you can't do it. But I think you need to hear to plant them early in the fall in a place that is covered so they don't get too cold, right? So like a cold mm-hmm. frame. And then I would definitely put, it's just really complicated. So I think I would want to buy the seed in the fall, sow the seeds indoors. Then, because I tried doing it in the spring, it didn't work. It got too warm and I, they just never did a thing. They just sat there. Maybe if they had sat there all the way until winter, it might have worked, but I just don't have time for that. That is a long crop. Yes, and I'm going to link to an extension article from University of Wisconsin because I've never really grown leeks, and my assumption is they would be something you could grow. I do know you can leave them in the garden after frost, and they'll be fine, and yeah, you can like harvest carrots. them. Yeah, so, but I, I can't really speak to them because I, I neither hard. grow them or use them that much. I think it would be easier in Wisconsin or someplace that is in someplace that is in that's like out west, like in the Pacific Northwest. Any place that's like England, they grow leeks really successfully in England. So let's talk about garlic. You didn't really want to talk about garlic because it's in the fall is when you plant it. Yes. Um, but you know what? It's an allium, so we should talk about it, I guess. Well, yes. and here's my challenge for you. We've talked about garlic extensively on some old episode out there. So mm. you have to use your sleuthing skills and find that episode for me okay. so I can link it in the newsletter. But quickly, it's a multiplier. You break open the bulb and you plant each clove and each clove will make a bulb. And That's so right. it is not hard to grow. It does like fertilization. So my garlic is up. It's tiny, but it's up. And I will start fertilizing it as soon as the weather warms, like consistently. I will lay in some chicken manure because I no longer use 
cow manure. I will lay in some chicken manure that is highly composted and feed it. It likes food. So that's, and then when do you harvest it? Well, you harvest it when it starts to send up scapes and is done. And and people collect those garlic scapes and actually they um, fry them up, not fry, fry, saute them and eat them. They're a delicacy. Yes. I know I'm going to say when like the first, you'll notice it like there's sets of leaves that come up from the garlic. And when the lower sets start to turn brown, that's when you harvest it. And then the other question, let it dry. The other question people have is hard neck versus soft neck. And my rule of thumb is generally, and it could be completely wrong, but this is what I think. Hard hard necks are more hardy. And so that's like when you have true winners, like I usually have, you grow hard necks. And soft necks, I think of, you know, growing in places like Italy or California or Louisiana. So Mm -hmm. I can grow both in Oklahoma, but here's the thing. I tend to grow hard neck because you can buy soft neck at the store. You can buy organic soft neck at the store all day long. Hard neck is much harder to find. And last year I had the best garlic harvest I ever had bar none. And it's the hard neck that sends up the garlic scapes. I don't think soft neck does, but somebody, if I said that wrong, just, you know, let it go. What else do I want to say? Hard neck does not stay. What's the word? Soft neck stays longer in keeping than hard neck does. So if you grow both of them, use your hard neck garlic first. And I tend to like the purple ones. And one more thing about cooking with hard neck garlic is much easier to separate those cloves and get that papery skin off. It comes off much, much easier than on soft neck. Okay, that's enough of that. It is enough. All the onion talk is, it is almost time, I think, I need to double check. I might go ahead and start some onion seeds indoors, like for the first crop I'm going to put out there. And then I'll probably wait another few weeks and plant some more for like a subsequent of the bunching, especially. Yeah, I would start them here now if you're going to do it by seed. And I realized that I wanted to grow red onions and I don't have any seeds for that. So I got to go back and buy some red onions right here. You could have. No, I'm going to grow. I got to go get some (laughs) seeds. Anyway, I'll do a quote. We'll go to the bookshelf. Nothing is sweeter than to think well of others. St. Therese of Lisieux. Okay, on our bookshelf, this one was sent to us for review. Yes. The Backyard Homestead Guide to Growing Organic Food, a crop-by-crop reference for 62 vegetables, fruits, nuts, and herbs by Tanya Dekla Cobb. And this is from our friends at Story Publishing. And when they say reference, D, that's the key they word. Mean reference. There, this is not a book of pictures at all. No, and there's so, not a picture in here. But there's a few line diagrams every once in a while. But <laughs> it's not a picture, Carol. Just no, saying. it's not. So here's the 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 chapters: creating a self-sustaining gardening, and that's that's full of good information about the basics. Considering raised beds on composting, there's some good basic information on there. Good soil makes a difference. And then there's chapters on vegetables, fruits, and nuts, herbs. Then there's some organic remedies for some of the issues that you might have out in the garden. And then there's also allies and companions. And she talks about things that you can plant together. And what they do for it. And her definition, I thought this is, I hadn't really thought about this. Allies are said to actively repel insects or to enhance the growth or flavor of the plant they help. 
Companions, by contrast, are said to share space and growing habits well, but do not necessarily play an active role in each other's pest protection or growth. Allies can be and are considered companions, but companions are not necessarily allies. I remember this from that book about, it was published by Cold Springs Press. You mean Jessica Wallace? Yes, yes, her book. She talked about that in there. And that was the first time I ever heard it. Here's something I've never heard of that's in this book ever. You ready? What's that? If you want to get rid of weeds, till them in the dark. Have you heard that? This is no. from a uni- this is from a university deal. All right, tilling in the dark may cut some weed problems in half according to research from the USDA in Rosemount, Minnesota. Seeds of certain weed species need a flash of light to break dormancy and tilling in the dark present- prevents this. This approach is recommended for those with good night vision. Only for those with good night vision. Yeah, you don't want to hold yeah. off your foot. But what no. an interesting I have never ever ever heard that. No, that's that's new on me. So this does not cover every vegetable, every fruit, and every nut. For example, no. I looked, I was looking for information about leeks, and I thought, well, I'll just look in this book, and it is not in there per se, and I didn't even see it in the index. But that's that's no takeaway from this book. This this is actually a a darn good reference, D. It's got if you wanted to have a, a book, and you know that you could just like, hey, for the first time ever, I want, and I just turn randomly to Caraway. She you knows she's got the information and they show what kind of site it needs, temperature for germination, for growth, soil and water mm-hmm. needs. And then she's got first seed starting date, last seed starting date. And it's kind of based on uh, you have to figure out what what that means for your climate measurements, spacing, lots of good info. I think the reason that it that you should have it on your bookshelf and I'm going to keep it on mine is the whole section about organic remedies because she knows what she's talking about. And I get asked these questions all the time now by people about different things to do when, you know, for controlling disease and controlling insects and pests. And these are all organic methods and they're modern organic methods. Yeah. Because we know more scientifically about what to do than what we used to. And so she has all kinds of stuff, like stuff on Southern blight, smut. It's all it's all alphabetized, so that makes it easier to get. And then over here, it's a guide to controlling insects and animals. Do you know how many questions I get on deer control? This would be one. And moles. Right now, I have I have moles right now, which I wrote the I wrote the articles on moles and voles and everything for Family Handyman. So. Organic remedies for moles is traps, according to this. Oh, and planting castor bean plants. Yeah, that would help. Uh, wear gloves to prevent human scent. There's some interesting. There's some interesting ideas in here. So I like this book. Well, one of one of the ideas that I thought was kind of interesting was black light traps certain insects, and mm-hmm. she says used experimentally. But you know, you remember. When you're, I don't know if you, when you're a kid to get a black light and then you could, it was weird to see stuff under the black light. Yes. I'm, I'm familiar with black lights, Carol. I'm not that much younger than you are. Anyway. They were kind of in style when we were teenagers. So a black light trap to trap like leaf hoppers and different insects. So that, I mean, just going through there, even if you don't have those problems and reading through that, it probably come up with some interesting things to do. 
It's an interesting book. Yes. So, and w- thank and, you very much to them for sending it. Yeah, story. And our friend, Carlene Madigan, she's one of the editors. And so it's kind of weird to know, you know, that there's certain editors, and I don't want to say that editor, some editors, we, we just don't know. But we know Carlene, and so we know it's going to be a I good do. book just from the get-go. She's a very thorough editor. She a is. Good one. And a nice, very nice person, too. So let me repeat that if- title. The Backyard okay. Homestead Guide to Growing Organic Food, a Crop-by-Crop Reference for 62 Vegetables, Fruits, Nuts, and Herbs by Tanya Deckel cobb We'll have links in the show notes. Ready for the next quote? I am. Okay. The way I see it, if you want the rainbow, you got to put up with the rain, Dolly Parton. Speaking of rain. <laughs> what? Did it rain? No, it did not rain. I don't think that's the kind of rain she's talking about, Carol. We're going to talk about ticks really quickly. All right. So I was on Facebook, saw the Garden Professors post. That's a great group to great page to follow or group to follow. It's a very interesting group. And they had links to a new thing in entomology today, which I didn't even know there was entomology today. It's brought to you by the Entomological Society of America. And so here's the title of the article. Feeding deer corn with tick control drugs shows promise in new study. Okay. And it was written by Scott Williams, PhD. And it's ivermectin, interestingly enough. And so what they're doing is they're where deer feed heavily because the deer population, which Lone Star ticks love, and I think black-footed ticks do too, they are notorious. We've got more deer than we've ever had because that's, I, I listened to a, deer, a t- tick expert on this seminar I went to. And he said, one of the reasons that we have such a high, such high numbers of tick-borne diseases for human beings now is because of deer. Because in the fifties, we had just about, we'd really reduced the numbers of deer, but then hunters wanted to hunt deer. And so they, they tried to bring them back, which I'm all in favor of hunters hunting deer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So they have figured out a way to put, I think it's to put it in their corn. I read this a week ago and I've forgotten now. So there was one strategy that was to get them to walk through an area and get it brushed on them. Okay. Right. But now they're trying, it's called a poster device. Okay. And so it was a top, and that was permethrin, which is what the deer repel, I mean, the tick repellent clothing is made of. It has permethrin in it. But now they've been trying to do moidextrin, moi, I think it, moxidextrin, moxidectin, moxidectin. It's a more modern derivative of ivermectin. And so in 2018, people, can use it for various things. And now they're talking about using it for they're feeding deer with it. So the consensus on in the commenting on that page, the day I saw it was, oh, well, that'll cause problems. You know what I mean? People were immediately like freaking out because it is a type of, I don't know, what is it? A, I don't know what you call it. What is ivermectin? You know more about it than I do. I don't know much about ivermectin as to what it is. I know it was discovered in Japan and it's easy to make ivermectin. I do know that. And so I don't think it's it's been used for a long, long time because this Yeah, is, it's been out there for a long time. 
lots of people were very, oh yeah, this is a bad idea. And then I wrote on there, I commented, well, in this, in the case of how much terrible tick-borne disease we have in the United States right now, because I had no idea, but between Lyme, Rocky Mountain Sweat of Fever, the one I have, AGS, and then there's two new ones that Lone Star Ticks carry that are so new and so deadly that they don't even want to talk about them. I was like, this might not be a bad idea. And so people were surprised at that. Yeah. But when you when you read the article, they're, you know, oh, they're feeding deer pesticides. Well, they're feeding them a derivative of ivermectin. They, they call it cydectin, which so that's, yes. I suppose it's technically a pesticide because it is generally given to, to cure people of parasites. But it's not like they spray dicamba or something on them, you know, which is a no, terrible, and terrible actually, herbicide. It doesn't seem to hurt the deer. They just catch the deer and count the ticks. So obviously it doesn't seem to hurt them much. Could it have, be a problem in the future? I don't know. But we have a problem right now, too. So it's just an interesting article if people want to go read it. I have no opinion on it other than I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And like it says, in, I think it says in the article, which I was reading while you were talking, they've commonly given cows and horses and stuff are commonly given ivermectin or an ivermectin derivative yeah so they're not they're not like it's not like they're coating them with i'll give another example agent orange or something like that so no they're not and also i've heard lots and lots of reports from hunters or read lots and lots of reports from hunters where they are finding deer just covered in those ticks yeah so here's and nobody wants that for the deer either. No. So here's what we'd say. Again, kind of like the GMO tomato last week. We're not going to express an opinion on this podcast, pro or con. We're just going to present no. the information and you go read the article and you go do the research and figure out for yourself whether you think make this your own is- decision. Exactly. In can in connection with that, I also read a a really interesting article, and I've also heard this from several different doctors. That and tick specialists, that the Lone Star tick is different from all the other ticks in the United States in that it hunts its prey. And it hunts us because we breathe carbon dioxide like other animals, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you sit down in the garden to work or sit in a hunting blind to hunt, it smells you. And it, it doesn't just wait on a leaf for you to walk by and get attacked. It actually crawls over to find you. Creepy little things. Creepy little things. I hate them. But the interesting, and they carry they carry not only AGS, but they also carry the homeland disease and the bourbon disease. And no, the bourbon disease is not named after the, the drink. It's named after Bourbon County, Kentucky. And the homeland disease, I can't remember where it was found, but it was found in the middle of the United States. Those two are both deadly and... While AGS isn't technically deadly, it causes anaphylaxis. So wear that permethrin clothing. I did a whole reel on it. It's it's not it's not gonna hurt you to wear it. And oh, and I keep being asked questions about children and I don't have an answer about that. So I'm actually gonna ask some of the experts on some of my Facebook groups. Because we have actual experts in there. That's enough about ticks, and I promise not to talk about them next week. Okay, we're gonna hold you to that, and I'm gonna do a quote. I have found that most troubles seem less troubling after a bracing cup of tea. And that's Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Do you have a cup of tea today? I do have a cup of tea today. What are you having? I have Choice Organics Mandarin Ginger Herbal Tea. And I have Celebration 
which was for Queen Elizabeth's celebration, her le- her last one, her seventy fifth or something, seventy five years on the throne. Yes, that yeah. is correct. Gosh, she was amazing. All right, our rabbit holes. You do yours first because I talk too much about ticks. So I posted about Mrs. Edward Harding last week. She was a very difficult lost lady to found find because her name Alice Harding turns out to be very common. And in Ancestry, they dump in all these British records, I think, to try to entice you to buy the British. You can't go and see anything, but to entice you to buy all that. I'm like, I'm not buying that. Yeah. So I finally got through her with enough information. So then I am moving on to CZ Guest because... My favorite. Yeah. On the feud, Capote and the Swans. She Feud is on the Capote and the Swans, and she, but she was fascinating all by herself because I did. I read some stuff about her this week too. Yes, so fascinating. Uh, and then also in between all that, I'm starting to explore information because you know, like I've said before, I think the upcoming solar eclipse on April the eighth, where we will be in darkness for almost a full four minutes in my wow. neck of the woods. Wow! I want to read up more about that so that I can. Ex- I can enjoy the experience a little bit more. So I got a book. I mm-hmm. bought a book and we'll see. But that's huge, big deal here. They're saying, you know, the state parks and all these, they're they're actually opening up the Indianapolis 500 Speedway to have some big event. If you want to go watch the solar eclipse with a big crowd and Purdue's doing something. And I'm not sure what all, but this is, this is big time. And it's coming. Yeah, my friend here. was, my friend Karen was trying to get me to go down and see it in the prime location in Oklahoma. And I was like, no, I just don't, I don't care about that stuff. I I care, like, it's a joke in my family, how little I care about space, uh-huh. stars. I, I just, I don't, I don't care about solar eclipses either. I think it's cool, but I'm not going to go. Well, no. we, we had a partial solar eclipse in 2017. Yeah, uh, kind of a warm up. Not that long ago. Oh, D, they are some of the schools are closing for the day so that the kids aren't, you know, like, what's my memory? We're going to have the solar eclipse at school. They're closing for the day so the kids can go enjoy it with their families. And even my That's garden funny. club would have met on that day. And I sent a note because I'm their speaker that day. I'm like, I won't be there because it's the solar eclipse. And everybody says, well, I'm not going to be there either. So we're moving our club meeting a day. I mean, it's, it's a big whoop de doo here. Okay, y'all enjoy that. All right. I, mean, I went through them several times. All right, so my rabbit hole. I've been reading. Have you been reading your monthly books? I have been reading, but not this one. I've been reading other Februaries. Okay, so in connection with you reading monthly books, I've been reading What We Sow. And it's a good book for reading monthly because those chapters are long. And it's by Jennifer Jewell and it has a much longer title, but I'm not going to read it because we've already talked about it once, but we, we can link to it if we got in the newsletter. All right. Jennifer is the host of Cultivating Place, a podcast and a radio show. And I told you I was going to join you on the monthly reading of it. It's interesting. January was okay, but February, February. Wow. It is a giant rabbit hole. It's a history of seed company consolidation and all of the outliers who wanted to keep seeds open pollinated and open sourced. And she went and interviewed all of these people, like the guy who started Johnny Selected Seeds, the people who did Seed Savers Exchange. She went into the land grant universities and how they got connected 
to Monsanto? <laughs> why why would petrochemical companies and people who create things like, you know, Monsanto, why would they want to own seed banks? You know, why did they start buying up all the seed companies in the 70s? And it's very, very interesting. And it's not as political as she's written it as I expected. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So she sat down and wrote down. I mean, I don't think Jennifer would be upset for me to say I mean, she's a friend of ours. She leans to the left because, and she lives in California. But she tried really hard, I think, in this chapter to just give you the facts for the most part. And the facts just sit there like a big lump of coal. And but there's some good news. And so I'm in the good news section, but I had to go to sleep last night because I read it right before bed. This is not an easy book to read. It is complicated and she spent a lot of time on it. I would like to know how long it took her to write it because she had to interview a ton of people, but she interviews them for the podcast too. So that helps, you know? Right. Anyway, very, very good, good rabbit hole. All right. Let's move on to garden commissions. So I have to say weather permitting, and it looks like, you know, it's going to go up again. More weeding out of the winter weeds because, yeah, mm. might try to get the crab apple out front pruned and then see if there's some other shrubs that could use a little bit of rejuvenation pruning. Not too much, but before they break bud. And there's like a couple of viburnums that I'm looking at and saying, yeah, I could probably take out. And they say don't take out more than a third if you're, unless you're like clear cutting it like you did your smoke bush. But I'm going to do some of that. Yeah, you're maybe. really not supposed to do that. I yeah. need to start more microgreens because I've just eaten through the last first batch of whatever. So time to start some more. That's it. What about you? It's cold, <laughs> but it's supposed to be nice next week. I have two garden coaching clients. Yes, garden coaching is open and I'm getting busy. So if people want me to do it, they need to get on my schedule. I'm going to continue cutting back my roses and working on getting the garden slowly in shape because it is rose pruning time here. And the good news is I feel so much better than I have the last two years and I have so much more energy. Yay. I'm also working on the cut flower garden talk, which is about growing your own cut flowers for the Oklahoma Museum of Arts, Art in Bloom, which I'm speaking on April 14th. That's a Sunday at 11 a.m. It's not the best time, but that's when they have me speaking. So I'll go to mass the night before. And you can buy tickets on February 20th. That's when tickets open. So I'll be talking about that. And I'm kind of excited about it because it's a talk I've never done before. Cool. Well, let's wrap this thing talk. up. Thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Thank you to those who have done so because it's not easy. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And go ahead and subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com. It's also linked to in our show notes. If you do, you get the link to listen to the podcast a whole day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or if you want to, you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. Thank you. Thank you indeed to everyone who has done so. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.